Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. We've seen over the last couple of episodes how difficult it can be to have conversations about how to address racism in Bay Area cities, especially in places where the elected leadership is all white. But even when a city council is more diverse, like in South San Francisco, that doesn't necessarily make that conversation any easier. This generational divide that you're seeing in the city, whether it's in housing or policing or education, is starting to spill into the city council races. South City's leaders say change should happen carefully. But young activists think that approach isn't good enough or big enough for this moment. And that divide between generations in a diverse and changing city is at the center of the city council election. Today, what pushing for change looks like in South San Francisco. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. South San Francisco is this really interesting, small city. Aditi Bunlamudi is a reporter for KQED. It's on the peninsula, and... During World War II, there was a lot of businesses, manufacturing businesses, meatpacking businesses. And then it slowly transitions from this sort of blue collar, uh, you know, city that that's that's fake focused on manufacturing to a um, to a biotech. They say the origin of biotech. And now you have companies like Genentech, which uh, employ more than 8000 people in the city and uh, and other big companies like Verily that have their headquarters right next door. In our last two episodes, we were in Martinez and Walnut Creek, cities that are both overwhelmingly white. That's not the case in South San Francisco. While just 2% of the city's black, it also has a large immigrant population, and the city's mostly Asian, white, and Latino. 
and this summer, the city's young people of color took the lead in organizing after the death of George Floyd. I've been talking to some folks from South City, and they tell me that before the summer, they never really saw a lot of political movement, social change happen in the city. People sort of accepted the status quo and moved on. And then in the summer, a lot of people started protesting and thinking of what their city could be. Say his name, George Floyd! Say his name, George protests were were sort of similar to what we saw in other cities. A lot of young folks and, you know, folks of all ages, races, uh, you know, ethnic backgrounds gathering together and marching for change. They were chanting George Floyd, but they were also chanting Derek Gaines, Errol Chang, Chinedu Okobi. These are all people who were killed by police officers and who were part of the South San Francisco community. There's one organization that seems to stand out. They're called Change SSF. They actually didn't exist before the summer, but they are made up of a number of people from the community. South San Francisco and Daly City mostly have a really unique experience because we are the northmost and consist mostly of working class people with large um, POC populations. I've just always wanted to, you know, think of a way that we can help South San Francisco because we have seen a lot of change in the past decade. I spoke to Winnie Yee and Valeria Olguin. They grew up in South City and they've re- recently graduated from school and they've come back to work in their hometown. So like hearing that there were so many people interested within the, within the city to do some, to at least like come together and speak or share space was just like so cool. So like I jumped on immediately. I was like, yes, this is what I've wanted. And then the summer happens. And then they sort of feel like they want to bring about that change. If change isn't gonna come, they wanna bring it about. I think ultimately a lot of the people in Change SSF are just very, are just community members and residents that are just really concerned about our city. And we've always been looking for this outlet to kind of engage our city council, but also engage our own communities um, and just um, work towards that. So what local issues around either race or policing have been front and center for Change SSF? They are concerned with a whole host of issues, everything from uh, police officers in schools to education to housing. Um, And they are very involved in discussions about all of those issues. But during the summer, they focus a lot on police reform and their platform to defund the SSFPD. I find that interesting that they were inspired by the summer protests, but their platform includes a lot of different things. Why do they feel the need to include a lot of different things instead of just focusing on policing like some other groups are doing? They feel like all of these issues are interconnected and you can't solve one without trying to solve another. I completely see the connection between mass policing and um, gentrification in South Francisco. You know, if you look at the those new buildings we were talking about, Cadence, that's on Cypress. There's a lot of folks who, like, there's a lot of policing on Cypress Street um, in the east side of South San Francisco.
So what do we know about South San Francisco's police department and their history? South City PD has done some things. They have enacted some of the policies of Eight Can't Wait, and they have had lengthy discussions about getting in more involved with communities, and they've also admitted that they don't have the resources to deal with mental health crises. But Change SSF and other organizations feel like that's not enough. They point to how militarized the uh, the police department is, the fact that the police department has this armored vehicle that uh, they can't really understand why that exists. They, they point to uh, police officers who are in schools that uh, they argue don't make the school safer. And they want all of this to change. Because this group Change SSF has, has formed so quickly over the summer, what do we know about how much this group of, it seems like mostly young people are resonating with the broader public in South San Francisco? Well, the organization has hosted a number of protests that I think were very uh, heavily attended. Um, they've also done a, a number of other things. They hosted a school drive to talk about uh, the learning gap. Um, and they've been present at city council meetings and have been very vocal about what they want. And I think uh, people are aware that they exist, if not involved in their efforts. And they've also resonated with people who have seen the issues that South City deals with for a while, someone like Dolores Piper. Okay, so I raised a son here, and I've been living here since 1972, bought a home here in 1972, my husband and I. She is the aunt of Derek Gaines. He was a 15-year-old boy who was killed by South City PD in 2012. Some of these young people were two, they were only eight or nine when he was killed. And yet they feel, they felt there's some injustice somewhere in this whole scenario. I kind of, that's really interesting to me. I mean, I, I feel like, I wonder, has there been a movement to change policing in South San Francisco before this summer? I doubt it. I've never seen anything. It almost sounds like she didn't have a group of people who, who, who was doing the work with her until this summer. Yeah, she felt like there were whispers of movements she had seen in other cities, what had happened. She had talked to other families in other cities where things were changing. But she felt like South San Francisco didn't really have a lot going on until the summer when people started chanting in the streets. They were amazing in their their grasp of the national issues as well as the local issues. It, it I went, whoa, I didn't know all this eight years ago, but they, I'm just so encouraged by young people across the nation. This is where the change is going to come. How did the city respond to these list of demands? What, or what have they actually done over the summer to respond to the, the, the protests and people calling for change? Shortly after the protests, city council sort of decides that they need to sit down with Change SSF and work out what exactly this organization wants from the city. Then the city council announces that they are starting this commission. The, the name of the commission is the South San Francisco Commission on Racial and Social Equity. The first meeting is in early August, and they start to have meetings uh, twice a month that they meet, uh, once in the beginning of the month and then once in the middle. 
it's in October that Change SSF sort of starts to feel like things are going off the rails, that things are starting to slow down, and that they're not really being heard anymore. They're going through topics, right, like housing, education. So at the education meeting, we were pushing to talk about SROs, SLOs, and they very much were like, we're not going to be touching upon that topic today. We're still collecting data. And it's like, if that is not the platform to talk about it, then where is They feel that the commission, number one, is comprised of people who might be out of touch with the real issues of South San Francisco. They feel that the people who are sitting on the commission are handpicked by city council. They also feel that the commission's timeline is too long. The end date is is way off into the future, and they want to see results now. They don't want to wait until the middle of next year for things to change. We've seen other cities get rid of the student liaison officers in their schools. And just today, there was the news that came out about how SFPD won't be handling the psychiatric and behavioral crisis calls. And we're just seeing a lot of mobilization in these other neighboring cities. I was talking to Valeria Olguin. She's a member of Change SSF about about this. She feels really discouraged by the way that the commission has sort of gone. Like um, dipping their hands into social justice. You know how some cities are, are like painting Black Lives Matters on their main street. And, you know, our city created a commission and um, it doesn't seem like they really want to engage in those conversations. Um, and... Yeah, it, yeah, it just feels so performative. In an open letter on October 7th, Change SSF lists eight ways they think the commission should be different. For example, they want the police chief to be removed from the commission. And they also want the two seats they were expecting instead of one. Overall, it's clear that the young activists with Change SSF no longer think these talks will result in meaningful reforms. But the city council doesn't see it that way. Well, how do the members of the city council feel about the fact that these young activists basically don't think what they're doing is significant enough and and not doing it in the right way? The city council members expressed a lot of frustration because they sort of feel like Rome wasn't built in a day and change is going to take a while to sort of come through. I'm curious to understand how how do you understand what the city is is sort of upset about? Why do you think people are are upset? I I was talking to Councilwoman Flora Nicholas about this, and she sort of said, we want to make sure that everyone's taken care of. And if we if we enact change too quickly, we could leave some people out and we want to make sure that we don't do that. We have to make sure that it's just not policing that we have to take care of. Everything has to be improved in all areas in our city policies and programs so that there will be equity. Mark Nigales said, look, you know, we're trying our best. And yes, we can do more. We can always do more. Everyone can do more. But we're doing the best that we can. And we are asking for some patience here. You know, do we agree on everything? Obviously, we don't, you know. But are we passionate enough to try to resolve this issue, to come up with with, with, uh, 26 uh, initiatives? Absolutely. You know, the fact that we're coming to the table and we invited such a diverse group of people, I think shows that our city is serious about tackling systemic racism in our city. 
Regardless of the timeline to get things done, do you have any sense of what these council members think about what the activists are actually asking for? They feel that the cry to defund the police is not actually a reasonable one. I can tell you that the majority of not just people in my district, but in South San Francisco, are not interested in defunding the police department. I was speaking to Mayor Rich Garbarino, who's up for re-election this year, who said that the city is growing and the census count will come back and he'll have to see how many people actually live in the city. But he expects that that number is is going to grow. And he sort of argues that if there are going to be more people in the city, there needs to be more police officers. When you defund something, you either reduce services or you reduce the number of personnel. Neither one of those is acceptable to the people that I've spoken to citywide, not only in my district. They're not accepting that at all. City Council is really interesting because it's made up of a lot of people from different ethnic backgrounds. You've got Carol Matsumoto, who um, is a Japanese-American. She was actually in the internment camps um, during World War II. Um, and then you have uh, Rich Garbarino, who has been uh, serving as mayor for a very long time. He's been an active in city politics for a very, very long time. Um, you've got Flora Nicholas and Mark Nigales, who are both Filipino. I think Mark came here as a kid as a baby. Mm-hmm. We're both from the Philippines. We're the first two Filipinos uh, elected to the city council. Floor talks about coming to America as an immigrant and sort of, you know, having to take odd end jobs to make ends meet. She felt like she wanted to run for city council because she wanted her immigrant grandchildren to see what immigrants can actually do for their city and for their community. Why do you think that the demographics of the council are significant here? I think here the ethnic demographics of the city council is not really the issue here. It's more of a generational disparity between the people who sit on city council and the people who are sort of protesting and demanding change. This generational divide that you're seeing in the city, whether it's in housing or policing or education, is starting to spill into the city council races. You've got these two folks running in District 4. One of them is this 22-year-old queer Harvard student who is running against the incumbent mayor who has been in office for a very long time. Coming up, what drove a political newcomer to run for office and what he wants for South San Francisco? Hey there, this is Alan Monticilio. I'm the editor of The Bay. KQED is hoping to learn more about how you listen to podcasts and what you love about them. So if you have just 10 minutes to spare, please fill out our podcast survey. It's at kqed.org slash podcast survey. I know there's so much going on right now, but if you have the time, we'd really, really appreciate it. This will help us, help me, Devin, Erica, all of us at KQED continue to bring you shows that matter to you. So once again, that's kqed.org slash podcast survey. And thanks. I kind of want to talk about Election Day, which is going to be tomorrow. Many people have probably already voted, but 
what's going on with local elections in South City, especially the city council race? Well, you've got this really interesting situation in South City because for the first time, the city council elections are district based. So um, you've got Rich Garbarino, who is currently the mayor, who's running against James Coleman. He is this 22-year-old Harvard student. Um, and his path to running for city council is really interesting because what happens is he is studying at Harvard and Harvard sort of closes up for COVID and he is sent back home to South City to finish up his studies online. And then the summer happens and he, uh, you know, sort of protests. He's a member of Change SSF. And when we went to the city council, you know, asking for change, we were met largely with dismissiveness and, and condescension. And he decides uh, shortly after that he's going to run. If he can't see himself in city council anymore, then he himself should just run. We just felt that the city council was not being representative of the people and especially of the young people and the people of color that went to the city council demanding change. And James is really interesting himself. He comes from a lot of communities. He is the first openly LGBTQ candidate for uh, SSF city council. He um, is Taiwanese-American, multiracial. Um, He's also very young. Um, He's interested in biotech, but he also has blue-collar roots. So, you know, he sort of is this amalgamation of what South San Francisco has become. What's he actually running on? What's what's his message to people in South San Francisco? He's running on a platform of change and of youth, of this sort of shakeup to the establishment that has existed in the city for a very long time. South San Francisco is a majority people of color city. And many of these communities do not feel safe calling the police department for certain issues because our police department has a history of, of racism and sexism. He is sort of running on on this on this platform of housing for all, uh, you know, demilitarizing the police, of paying attention to folks who can't really pay their rent right now because of COVID and also because of the uh, racial and social disparities that existed way before COVID hit. Um, and, and he's running on a platform that is sort of it, it leans heavy on shaking things up. When I asked Rich Garbrino about James Coleman's sort of shakeup, um, you know, Rich Garbrino says, yeah, you know, I can appreciate that change needs to happen, but maybe not right now. Uh, maybe we need some stability and someone with uh, some more experience to, to serve on city council. The Daily Journal said it, well, at this point in time, now is not the time to make change. That I'm the one that can lead the city, help lead the city through these crises. There is no substitute for experience and institutional knowledge. I know James is a smart young man, uh, but he's untested, if you will. Do do you have any sense of if James Coleman has a chance of winning this election? I know it's kind of hard to know. Um, You know, a lot of local races never get these polls, but I do know that it's hard to beat incumbents in a lot of cities. Well... It's really hard to tell these things, but I can say this much. When talking to Dolores Piper, she sort of talked about how in the past she would vote for the incumbent because that's all she really knew. And that was the attention that she gave. 
And now she sees James and she sees young people sort of getting out there and getting involved. And she's really excited. And she's really excited about James. She wants to vote for him and she wants to support him. I'm very encouraged by James Coleman. He's going up against Garbarino, who's been in office, like I said, for all, all the years that I can remember. And I think it's so wonderful. And what we've been talking about, I hear elements of things I've seen and reported on, obviously, in other Bay Area cities. Um, but then I've heard very unique things that are unique to South San Francisco. But I'm curious, from your perspective, what makes the situation there and what's happened since the protests over the summer unique in South San Francisco? And then what makes it similar to other places in the Bay? All of the people I talked to for this story are people who have lived in South San Francisco for their whole lives. And they went to school and then they came back because South San Francisco continues to be relevant. It is growing as a biotech capital in the in the Bay Area and in the world. And these disparities that exist today are only going to get worse. And the folks that I talked to feel like they need to start working now to shape the city that they call home. The South San Francisco Commission on Racial and Social Equity continues to meet with the goal of making recommendations to the city council sometime in mid-2021. In the meantime, the city's working with San Mateo County to pair mental health specialists with police. And that program is expected to start early next year. This is the final of three episodes that we've done looking at how summer protests for racial justice are showing up on Bay Area ballots and beyond. If you haven't yet, check out our other episodes by subscribing to The Bay. Big thanks to South Bay reporter Aditi Banlamudi for reporting this story. And here is your last reminder from us. If you haven't yet, don't forget, go vote. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and Alan Montecilio. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it from us. Talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.